All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the English Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk with tournament angler and YouTuber Rich Lingren. We asked Rich some questions that only a true Minnesota angler would know. Uh, also, have a great time catching back up with the guys and uh, talk about quite a few other topics. So, hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Um, been a couple weeks since we last chatted, so I hope everything's been well your way. We've got some fun stuff coming up in this episode. So uh, before we get to our awesome guests later on, let's go around the table and talk about a few things. Uh, Nick, what uh, what's up your way, dude? What's up, guys? Good to see your beautiful faces. Uh, it's been a little while since we've all talked uh, again. <clears throat> but, you know, just kind of garden variety Nick nonsense uh, over the last couple weeks. Today was uh, another tooth pulled for my daughter, so it's always kind of like sadistically entertaining to sit there while they like Ooh. drug your child up and pull on teeth and yank them out. It's always it's always better to be in the chair watching than the chair receiving. So, mm. but uh, yeah, it's funny. The last time she had some major dental work done, apparently you're supposed to floss and brush your teeth. I felt like that was kind of like communist propaganda that didn't need to be paid attention to, but. You know, I feel like dentists would be the group that would like try and downplay all of that so they could get more business. But the first time that she had all this crazy stuff done, probably like nine months ago, I felt bad for her. They, it's a pediatric dentist office, so they have like kids movies playing that they can watch. Dude, it was um, Alice in Wonderland. And it was like the scary like original one from probably when Rob was a kid like 80 years ago where it's like two-dimensional. That's actually like, I think of a movie about taking psychedelic drugs. So could you imagine being like eight years old on laughing gas while they're just like chipping teeth out of your mouth watching that. But today wasn't much better dude. It was ants or no a bugs life. And that's pretty, pretty violent too. The grasshoppers were kicking some ant ass as she was floating on drugs. So better than Alice in Wonderland. That's some, that's just weird. Dude. I felt terrible for it. Dude. She's in the chair for like three hours that day watching <laughs> the entire Alice in Wonderland movie on nitrous oxide getting teeth like chipped out of her. Let's, maybe there's something to that, but damn, let the kids pick the movies at least. Yeah, no doubt. So, so that been busy with work, uh, still stabilizing my, uh, premier mobile home park asset over in Missouri. And, uh, yeah, I wish I had some more funny stories about that, but it's kind of just been like the nitty gritty of man, how crazy the weather is. So it's still really nice here in Phoenix, right? Today it's like low nineties, I think for a high in May 13th, those poor folks over there, they've had like the wettest, coldest winter of all time. And now it's like 92 degrees with 90% humidity. Straight so to I'm summer. Getting, dude, I mean, there's get, been no spring, dude. It's, what the heck? There's like that part of the country. We've had a regular, re relatively normal year out West and the Southeast has been similar, but dude, that, Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, parts of Texas. Uh, yeah, no, lots, no spring. Lots of AC calls over the last week or so. So been doing that. And uh, the most exciting thing on the fishing front is uh, my boat. I just went over there yesterday to drop off um, a new mount to get my black and white paper fish finder up over the pedal of my Ultrex as well as some decals because the ones on my motor cow had all fallen off and man i cannot i didn't want to take any pictures to spoil it but i will tell you that like you will not recognize my boat he is doing cool. such a good job he's already cut and polished like most of it 
and removed the remainder of the wrap. And uh, man, it's like Rob's boat's twin. I didn't realize we had such a similar color combo as we do. Mine looks better than his barely, but pretty similar. <laughs> Who, uh, who's doing the work? His name's Robert Kettner. You guys okay. know him? Yeah, I've heard good things. I don't know him, but I've heard I've heard really good things about what he does. So. He's an absolute stud. He works with his yeah. his old man and uh, another guy in there. I don't I met, but I don't know if he's family. And it's pretty cool, man. They're just out of their garage. He's got a two year old little girl just crawling around underneath everyone's feet, just hanging out. And nice. They're talented, man. It takes so much patience. Rob knows this. He's done the carpet and stuff in his boat. You just have to be so patient and thorough, and like take things apart all the way and clean them and man, he is that. So I'm pretty excited. I, you guys were busting my balls. I was thinking about cleaning it up and, and selling it and getting a sweet kayak. Um, but you guys aren't in support of that. So now you're I see the how podcast, if you do that, yeah. Did I just get muted? If anyone can hear me, they've cut me out. Look for my new podcast coming out soon. <laughs> Dude, what are so- your intentions with the boat? Are you going to use it? I, I mean, now that I'm going to be looking so good, I plan on probably just hanging out around the the parking lot at the ramp about 6 a.m. and then about 2 p.m. every day and just kind of like sit there like I'm tying tackle and, you know, just wanting people to see me mostly. All right. Yeah, that's a good I might move. go fishing eventually. I'm glad to hear it. Well, that's cool, man. When's, when are you going to have the boat back? Well, the uh, McMurray World Tour starts May 30th. We're Mexico bound again. So hopefully I get it back before then so that I can put it under a cover and watch it get dusty again <laughs> nice that's cool i think you'll have it done though in the next week or so and then i can get it out a couple times but kind of bad timing on that i didn't honestly i, I had not known of him otherwise i would have had him cleaning it up sooner uh so i could get some use but hopefully late july when i get back from globe trotting we can uh we can catch some night fish on it that's cool i'm looking forward to uh to checking it out man sounds like you got a heck of a trip coming up i didn't realize you were going for that long that's awesome we're doing Alabama 2.0. Hopefully I can go back and redeem myself from all the suckage that I suffered in March. Plan on just watching Dustin Cannell's Instagram feed and then just following. I saw he had a post on the Coosa River just this morning. So I was like, I'm just going to like figure out how to geotrack him. And then I'll just follow him around in our little tiny aluminum boat. Like, I know him. That's cool. Give me the juice, bro. That's cool. That's cool. Um, well, heck yeah, man. That's, that's a lot of good stuff coming up. I'm stoked to hear about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, Rob, uh, let's, uh, let's swing it over to you as I walk away from the computer real quick. My, I've got just my daughter inside. Um, so Rob, Phil, Nick on, on, uh, yeah. Dude, Dad, Emma's more interesting than Rob. Already, so tell Nick what you've been up to and I'll be back in two seconds. <laughs> right on. No, I just, uh, I finally got the final part of my boat finished. I got my motor on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in the process of breaking it in and yeah, it's like a, it's like a brand new boat now. So I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, man. What, uh, what's the break-in process on that? Is it how, how many hours that like certain RPM or what is that process? Yeah. It's like the first 10 hours you, uh, the first couple hours, I guess you just have to run it 2,500 to 3,500 in that range, vary it. Um, you just don't want to stick at one speed for a long time or one RPM for a long time. Okay. Um, and then again, the last eight hours of that first 10, I mean, you can open it up. You can do a bunch of different things. You just can't hold it. It's not like you go to Lake Mead and run up the lake full throttle for an hour, you know? <laughs> okay. So you just got to keep varying the speed, but you can go to 
like what 6,000 RPM or something, but then just bring it back down. Or is uh, yeah, that too yeah, high? I haven't done that yet. I, I don't plan on doing that yet, but uh, you should just yeah. hook a hose up to it and put a brick on your hot foot and come back out in a few hours. Yeah. Probably not a good idea, but <laughs> oh. no, it's, it runs really, really good. It's, uh, Does it sound good. It sounds great. I mean, it's yeah. nice having a four stroke with get rid of that, uh, oil reservoir. Um, you have a ton more room in the bilge area and yeah, so I'm stoked. It's like a brand new boat, like I said. So now you can store your lunch down there where the oil pump or the oil reservoir yep. used to be. Yep. For sure. So <laughs> it is just another world. There's it's funny. Sometimes there's a small part of me that hears a two stroke screaming down the lake yeah. and I reminisce a little bit and miss it a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> That's it. The four strokes just way oh, better that's it. in all ways, you know, and the four stroke sounds sick in its own way. It's just like, there's just something about a, a two stroke too, that, uh, that, that I missed just, but that's it. Like the fuel economy, the four stroke, the whole shot, uh, the reliability, like two strokes, they are, you get to a certain amount of hours and, and you're just, you know, you've got major problems coming and those four strokes. It's, it's totally different ball game. Like, you know, when it comes time to sell the boat at the end of the year, but the two stroke, you really want to know what's on it. And a four stroke, it just, as long as you change the oil and maintain it, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. And what's funny is, you know, obviously Josh runs a Mercury and that starting of the Mercury sounds so much better than, than the, Oh, does it? I haven't oh, heard the Yamaha for sure. Yamaha is kind of like, I kind of feel like I'm back in a Honda Civic in the water. Oh, okay. But it's, it's just nice how quiet it is and how refined it is. You can be running down the lake at 3,500 RPMs and have a conversation. So nice. You're like yeah. in Ricky Bobby when uh, the, the Italian guy, or the French guys like drinking his macchiato, making laugh. That's how <laughs> yeah, refined you are now. Oh, for sure. In your for Yamaha. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do like crepes though. Believe. They are delicious. Those little flat pancakes yeah that's cool rob have you been guiding out of it with the new motor yet or are you um, still breaking it in no i haven't done a trip yet i plan on um i got a bunch of trips next week and getting after it so nice where have you been fishing still pleasant uh, quite a bit, pleasant or? pleasant and bartlett um pleasant is man it's so scary like you you either have the best day ever, oh. or you just get your teeth kicked in so uh Bartlett's very consistent, but you catch a bunch of, you know, pretty small fish, unfortunately. So, yeah, there's That's a the nice place we all love. Yeah, seriously. Since they Sounds built like the it. Have you caught any big stripers at Pleasant? Uh, up to eight pounds. A lot of, a lot of like, uh, I guess three to five or six pounders, occasional, a little bit bigger than that. So it's cool. I know you guys yeah. don't like to go through the hassle of beating those guys, but that kind of sounds like a sweet way to bring one home and, Oh, for yeah, sure. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of them. That's for sure. Yeah, that's the last time you, you did that, Rob. I haven't done it in forever. I had some clients take a bunch home the other day, but I haven't done it in forever. So. Okay. Right on. Taking a bunch home sounds like work, but like two and you could just eat them that night and then be done with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just, I plan on doing that in Minnesota when we're up there in July, I hopefully catch some walleyes and fly nice. them up and, but I'll probably do it once and be like, okay, I'm over that too. And I feel like if you eat something out of Lake Pleasant, it's kind of like snapping a thermometer in half and drinking the mercury from inside of it. I just feel like that's probably not like a very clean 
you know, pristine watershed to eat anything out of. I mean, I think Pleasant's pretty clean water, but I mean, so is Lake Mead and there's bodies around in there. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's every, Dude. every week is a new story about someone wearing some cement sneakers showing up on the new shoreline. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk nuts. about a lake that has gone downhill and, and Hey, it's, it's really sad because it's such a beautiful, beautiful lake. It's such a, it's an amazing place, but, uh, yeah, just as far as perception-wise, all you hear in the news is Lake Mead is record low, record low, dead bodies showing up on Lake Mead. Now they're moving the uh, U.S. Open off of Lake Mead. It's been uh, – Lake Mead's struggling just like Josh Bertrand in the um, last couple of tournaments. It's the I Josh think. Bertrand of reservoirs. <laughs> I should go fish there, man. That's uh, that's about the only lake I deserve to be fishing right now. Stop. <laughs> no, no, I'm, no, I'm being positive about, about it. It's yeah. all good, but uh, – uh, yeah, just what a what a rough uh, year go for Lake Mead right Dude, now. Let's What's talk about on? the move the move of the open. I mean, that's the fortieth fortieth open. Is that correct? Exactly. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah, that's nuts, man. And they're going to go to Mojave, which has giant smallmouth, big largemouth, and even bigger wind. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, yeah. it, the thing about uh, Mojave is it's down in. Um, it's down in basically like a valley, I guess, below Mead. It's the lake below Mead. And Mead's a much bigger lake. But the thing about Mojave is it's straight up and down. You know, Mead, there you can get out of the wind because it the arms go in all different directions, right? So it might be really nasty in one basin, but the next basin will be okay. Mojave is straight up and down, north and south. So if you get a <laughs> north or south wind – you are absolutely, you know, in major trouble, especially if it's against the current. So, um, you know, but hey, it's it's cool. I'm personally, I'm really, really excited about it. I'm uh, yeah. I'm stoked about it. And uh, guys like Timmy Klinger and uh, Justin Kerr got to be licking their chops with that one, huh? Seriously, seriously. It's I mean, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm thinking that's a fastball down the middle for them. But really, you know, dude, it's. Uh, it's just something it's something different and uh i think most of the field doesn't have much experience there i think there's only a few guys with with experience there so we'll see yeah it'll be interesting i'm i'm anxious to see how that plays out as a as a 100% committed only going to be a co-angler for this lifetime makes me a little nervous thinking of like how dicey that would be you'd really want to hope you drew someone that knew how to drive their boat <laughs> not that that didn't apply at me but not only knows how to drive his boat but makes good decisions i mean there's going to be true. yeah it's i don't know it'll be interesting the thing is nowadays though it seems like a slight breeze in the morning they're going to cancel it or even in the forecast i mean i think the the uh national parks have a big part of that yeah you know? and the emphasis on safety is a good way to be and, and it I, is I would... until until you can't get a tournament off and you got a hundred you know 250 dudes there with expenses getting there like okay true that makes sense too yeah that's a that's a very real part of the equation too yeah i it just it seems like they're it seems like a lot of the circuits are very uh cancel happy i mean I yeah re- so i, I mean, fished for right. many many years and i remember like one day canceled <laughs> yeah i wonder you know and this is probably a rabbit hole we got muted from josh because he's parenting right now so the podcast got way more entertaining um, I wonder if that's like the litigiousness of society or what that is. And it's probably not even a rabbit hole worth going down, but some of it's just got to be liability, I guess. 
I guess it's got to be. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd but like Josh's take on that if we can get to him. But yeah, dude. <laughs> hey, this is terrible, guys. I'm so sorry. It's we all just right. need to get Emma a microphone, bro. Emma's probably yeah. got something yeah. worth saying. I don't know why we're blocking her. She's so bored right now. She's so bored. Uh, <laughs> oh, we'll fix it, bro. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's your yeah. Job. No. So I'm sorry. What do, what what was the it that you needed my take on or wanted my take on? Um, the wind and and the fact that they're canceling a lot of tournaments yeah, it seems to that's be a like hot topic in vogue deal. You know, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I mean, it seems like it's the cool thing to do now, and I I do think it's gone a little too far. You know, it's good, dude. I like it. I mean, I'm I'm thankful that we have it sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like it's getting just a little bit out of control, right? Like, uh, there's been some. There's been some days in tournaments where you roll your eyes and say, okay, we definitely could have gone in this one. And, and, and so the problem is, is the problem is they've done it so quick now they're going to be, and they've gotten so much crap for it, I guess. Um, what if they don't cancel one? Cause they're, they don't want to cancel one and that needs to be canceled. Right. Like, uh, true. The pendulum do you understand what I'm saying? I, I didn't say that correctly, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it could be a situation where, they don't want to cancel because made. What's that? Like a mistake gets made, right? Like in the other yeah. direction. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, there's, it's a really t- it's a tough situation for tournament directors because no matter what you do, every time people are going to be pissed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, seriously. there's going to be your hardcore dudes that are like, "Oh, we should have gone," and then there's going to be guys that are like, you know, saying, "Oh, this is dangerous. We shouldn't go." Um, I don't know. It's yeah. just it's tough on uh we've been doing the trailering policy on mlf a lot and that's really cool that helps you get a tournament in but some some places that's just not not even an option but like in some of our events we've actually you know we don't have a way in right so you can they enact that trailering policy and you could use any public boat ramp okay and your boat you still have lines in at the same time you know it's just it's a whole different setup but that just doesn't work in most tournaments and yeah major league fishing has taken the um the boat travel out of the equation, huh? On that, in that situation, right? And you're still, I mean, it's, it's tough. Cause like sometimes even if you do do that, you go to your first spot and there's no fish and you still do have to cross <laughs> the lake to go to the next spot or whatever. But at least that initial run of going from where you're going to, to where it's, where it's, where you want to fish is uh, if it's really, really windy and rough, they'll do that. But you know, they'd rather not do that. Cause they'd like everyone to take off out of the same place you know, for people to be able to come see you or, or, uh, uh-huh. you know, for the media members to be able to have access to you and stuff, but it's, it's, it's cool in emergency situations, but I don't know. We'll see. We, we can make a bet on how many days we'll actually fish. We were talking about that with Alex, how, how many out of the three days are we going to get to fish in the tournament over at Mojave? Um, I'm hopeful all three. And, and if you look at historical weather, if at the U S open over the last, you know, five years, I think I've fished maybe three of them. I've missed a couple of them, but three out of the five that I fished, um, I think two of the three, we didn't have wind all week. And then the third one, which I think was this year, we had wind dang near every day. Um, We had one of the days canceled. Another day had a bad forecast. We had wind in practice. So maybe we'll get lucky, but it, it will do the best we can. And I'm sure it'll be cool. I'm stoked about it anyways. And we need to put, keep pushing Rob to go Nick, Cause Rob really deep down wants to go. We just need <laughs> to push him to pull the trigger. Perfect. I'll sign him up. Dude. I don't, I, I'll be honest. Dude. I have no idea what it is. Like I want to fish some of these tournaments and I cannot pull the trigger. Absolutely cannot do it for some reason. So hmm. 
Maybe someday I will. We'll, we'll see. You fished a hundred of them in the past, you know? So yeah. Do you need nitro properties to sponsor you? I'll only require a buff with my logo on it. Your entire boat wrapped, your entire truck wrapped. I'm going to need uh, front and back of your Jersey. Sound good. It depends on, yeah, let's talk. Perfect. I like it. That's cool. Maybe that's the push he needs. That's cool. Look out Berkeley. I'm coming for Bertrand too. (laughs) That's cool. Well, yeah, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, Is my rap going to have a trailer on it? Will it be like a trailer in Missouri? Uh, Perhaps. Um, The art and design committee is uh, currently taking a nap on my feet. That's my chihuahua. So we'll have to run it by her. She usually makes most of my, you know, the company's larger decisions. Okay. Just a mere humanoid, as Bill Gates would call us. All right. Sorry, Josh. I interrupted you there. No, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, we'll see how that open goes. Um, before we got one other topic I want to talk about before we send it over to Rich Lindgren, our guest. But uh, Nick, do you have that question queued up? We did have a, a question come into the Q&A hotline this week and uh, figured we'd get to that here real quick. Oh, you know I do. I'm here more than just a beautiful face and a funny voice. Our good friend, Patrick Schaefer, frequent person who communicates with us, got lots of love for him, uh, sent us a message and said, so I'm an episode or two late, but right after I listened to the podcast where Nick's smoke detector was beeping the entire time, his started doing it. So it's kind of probably like when you yawn and then someone else's yawns, I bet his smoke detector, you know what I'm saying? Anyways, he said, they should be changed twice a year, but don't feel bad, Nick. I'm a fireman, and I don't remember to change them until they start beeping. So we appreciate Patrick keeping it real with that. Uh, But he does have a question that pertains to fishing, and he said that he was fishing a tournament recently and um, lost four fish on the same DT6 crankbait. All of the fish were hooked only by the rear hook in their mouth, and uh, at first thought it was a hook issue, but had no problem hooking the two catfish that he also caught that day. I'm sure they had all the hooks in their face and then the catfish death rolled and put boogers 18 inches up your line and royally effed everything up. So I think his question is um, the classic hooks on a crankbait question. It's a, it's a good question. And it's something that plagues us all. Um, I've got a lot of opinions on it, but uh, I, I want you to start, Rob. What uh, what adjustments could he Rob make? Rob uses does he... gold snelled eagle claw hooks. <laughs> yes. No, it, it could be a Eight it could be a, a hook situation, but if they're just getting the back hook and you feel like that's the way they're eating it, it may be a, a color situation. Maybe um, obviously you're, you're getting bites on it, but maybe they don't want to fully commit to it. So that would be my one of my initial changes. Um, and Josh probably has more insight on the hooks. I mean, there's a lot more hooks available. Before today, we jump away so. from that, so talk about color. How big of a change would you make, dude? Are you saying like shad to bluegill? I or? guess it depends on the watercolor and and you know what yeah, what true, color huh? what color he's initially throwing. I mean, it. Um, yeah, it just they might not see it well enough. They might not like yeah. it enough. Yeah, I just I think I'd make a color change to some some maybe go drastic at first and see what happens. See if you still get bit, see if they eat it different. Um, and then, you know, hooks from there. I'm a, I'm a Gamagatsu guy on hooks. Always have been, always change my crankbaits out to, uh, uh, just a pretty basic, uh, Gamagatsu treble. So. Makes sense. And, and I, I, it could just be a small adjustment thing, just like what, uh, what Rob's talking about, you know, changing the bait up, 
Um, sometimes though, you know, the other thing to consider is you were just out there on a day where the fish weren't fighting right. And, and that's really common. My gosh, I've got absolute <laughs> chaos going on around I love me. Now, it. <laughs> my wife is coming home, opening the garage. This is perfect. perfect. <laughs> this is what happens when we do 9.30 a.m. Typically, it's later, early, but yeah, this is absolutely ridiculous. So sorry for the background noise, guys, but I'm going to try to power through this. I <laughs> um, love it, man. <laughs> sometimes you're just out there and they just aren't eating the bait, you know? And, and um, if that was a one-day situation where that happened one time you could have been out there post frontal maybe a little higher pressure the fish are reacting to the bait but not absolutely crushing it not eating it really well so uh definitely try to make the adjustments but hey if you make those adjustments and and uh it doesn't get better you just might not be out there on a good day for cranking you maybe throw a jig you know on the same fish try uh, or, or you just throw the crankbait and hope for the best right i mean we've all been there in that situation too where you know they're not eating it quite right, but that's all you're getting bid on. And you just have to say, okay, I'm going to have a 50% numbers ratio today. Let's try to catch as much as we can. So yeah. um, the, the other adjustment could be a, um, a choice of rod action too. Absolutely. I mean, it just depends if you're throwing too stiff of a rod that may be jerking it Hold away it from them. Um, but you know, that's, Without knowing what Patrick is throwing for a rod, I guess it's hard to say. But lots of I, variables is kind of the. There's a ton of variables, and you everybody's got an opinion on it. But um, just the more you do it, and the more you, I mean, you just. And there's a lot of value in just talking about all those variables through. Absolutely, because right? so let's say let's say he was throwing a medium heavy graphite rod with a DT6. Um, maybe because there was cover around and he wanted to get the mm -hmm. fish out quick. Well, you got to hook them first. So I would probably go to a medium heavy glass rod to delay your reaction just a second. Slow yeah, it down. A millisecond, right? Uh -huh. But enough for that fish to maybe inhale that bait a little bit more. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different views on that. I mean, I, I watch a ton of YouTube stuff. I watch like the MLF stuff. I saw Mike McClelland uh, talking about throwing a crankbait in that, What's he throw a rock crawler? I think he's yeah, a that's his bait that he designed. Yep. Yeah. So, and he's talking about throwing it on a graphite medium action rod, medium light, you know, real parabolic, but a graphite rod. And he's like, I have to feel what the bait's doing down there. So he's, mm. he's got a point there, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But sometimes you feel too much and react too quick. Mm. So then you lean towards a glass rod, but it, I don't know. It's what you're comfortable with. I mean, everybody has a different reaction when a fish bites and yeah, yeah. You know, I know that's just going around and around, but there's, there's just a couple little changes I would make and, you know, maybe Patrick no, can let us know what type of line and, and, and rod he was throwing too. I don't know Patrick personally, but I'm going to go out on a limb here because I think he's probably a cool guy and suggest that maybe he just starts fishing for catfish. It's probably the easiest solution to his problem. <laughs> it sounds like he's a natural. just be a cat fisherman, bro. Like, why are you beating your head against the wall? Just freaking buy some stink bait, you know, get a few treble hooks with like an egg sinker and do work. Nice. I love it. That's a good point. Maybe Cat that's fisher. what we all should do, actually. <laughs> yes. We wouldn't have all these crazy debates and stuff. It would just be a lot more basic. Or we'd be a lot less just debate different things. They're like, I have what? a feeling that the guys at Bartlett would debate about 
this and that. Have you seen the pontoon boats they have set up for the catfish there? Yeah, a couple times. debate about the kind of beer they're going to drink that night, bro. It's mm-hmm. like, do you want these, something lighter or heavier? No, these dudes are on the quest of the next state record. I guarantee <laughs> it. They're pretty dang serious about it. So Impossible. Dude, catfish, especially a channel catfish, if you had to pick yes. the Rodney Dangerfield, no respect, tournament director of you know freshwater fish species, it's a channel catfish, man. And recently, I've been sending these to Josh because I know Rob does not unlock his phone. But on Meat Eater, they've been sending in pictures of the stomach contents of channel catfish. Have you seen those, Josh? No. Or maybe uh, Rob? I feel like I've been know. sending them to oh, you. Dude, uh, there was one. What, what the heck did he have in his uh, It's like a baby muskrat, I think. That's what it was. Yeah. And then someone else sent one in. And this is not a giant catfish. This is like a six-pound channel catfish, like slightly better than average catfish with like a nine inch muskrat pup and like five entire non-digested crawfish in its stomach. And then someone sent in a squirrel, a freaking same size catfish ate a squirrel. Just a garbage disposal. (laughs) It's awesome. Nasty fish, dude. I'll tell you. Yeah. They're just eating little threadfin shad, like a bunch of ninnies and catfish are down there. Like if I can get my mouth around it, I'm going to eat it. It's, and, dude, it's those days when you're not catching the basket that you always catch those suckers. I think I talked about it on the last show, but, like, if you're going to catch catfish or drum, it's never on a day where you're just trashing the bass. It's always a day where you're struggling and you finally get a bite, and it's like a baby catfish or something, and you're like, God. I guarantee, I guarantee a bass would eat everything that catfish ate, though. Yeah, it's true. And no one's gotten bass frequently enough to see the crazy things that are in their stomach. Yeah, I remember that. Josh, have you ever seen the fuzzy rats that that guy used to make up there? He lived by, he lived in Southern Utah, the Watson rat. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, uh, no, dude. I don't think so, to be honest. I actually have one. It's like a wood no dowel with, with like rabbit hair on it, dude. It's terrible. <laughs> dude, I Watson- just was envisioning like the squirrel version of that. <laughs> That's, I've got to see that bait, dude. <laughs> the popping squirrel. Can you imagine? You catch dude. something on it eventually. Oh, yeah. I, thought, I thought the Watson rat is what you call those people washing up on Lake Mead with cement shoes. Now that's, that's a Watson rat. So Watson, Watson is, a, this is an interesting deal that like old school guys are going to know who he is. Um, <laughs> but him and Jim Michaels, uh, Jim, I've guided Jim Michaels for the last 10 years out here in Arizona, but he used to fish with Watson and they would scuba dive with uh-huh. the, well, they wouldn't scuba dive. They they would. Well, what's what's the one where you just do it without a snorkel? Tank? Snorkel. Okay. So they would they would tie a rope to them, <laughs> and they tie it to the back of the boat and drag <laughs> themselves on Lake Mead with a snorkel, and they'd swim down to look for individual fish in bushes. Oh. And they would go back and catch. <laughs> so, let's say they find Holy twenty cow. bass, twenty three pound bass, and they would go fish. They'd rotate those bushes and they won more boats than you could shake a stick at wow unbelievable so i had i believe it's outlawed now to do that but wow that's crazy yeah i had heard rumors about and it was legal when he was doing this guy was doing obviously too but aaron and and i heard aaron used to swim around lake mead and dive down and look at uh and just swim and look too which is makes total sense you know i believe greg hines may be like the originator of that when he won the was it the 1981 U.S. Open? Um, 81, whenever it was, it was. Um, he spent like weeks there. He was on payroll from a from a guy to 
basically pre-fish for the both of them and they greg won and don Doty got second so wow and he did a lot of underwater research so that's pretty cool dude yep. so the first time i ever went to the saint lawrence river it's the same deal it's super super clear and i was up there pre-practicing um you know before it went off limit so i was up there trying to learn uh, the river this is like 10 years ago and there's a scuba diver at the boat ramp and uh, I'm like, oh, man, this has got to be a cool place to scuba dive. And what he would do is he would literally get dropped off upriver. And then just the current goes like five miles an hour. He no would literally kidding. just let the current push him <laughs> down. And he'd go like 20 miles, dude. Dude, how wow. scary is that? Insane. Insane. Like, it, yeah, because I'm sure there's some really swift parts, right? When yeah. You get off the, but he would, I mean, this guy was hardcore and... uh that's the he original was, live scope right there. Seriously. Well, this guy tells scope. me, he's like, uh, man, I see so many bass over by Prescott. And oh, I'm like, Prescott. La, 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 la. <laughs> he, and uh, so instantly I'm like, really? He's like, oh, yeah, there's so many more bass over there than anywhere else on the river. And uh, so, dude, I'm like, holy crap. You know, I'm actually done. It, it was my last day of pre-practice. So I was about to go home. So I'm like, remember it. And I started official practice. There's a, t a town on the Canadian side called Prescott, you know, and dude, I fish over there for like four hours and there's like not much structurally over there. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, where the heck is he talking about? And uh, dude, I waste like four hours the first day of practice trying to figure out. And he out was talking about common carp. <laughs> dude who it could have been anything but that's just a sucker of a fisherman me for yeah. you you know i yeah. mean you gotta oh, no. gotta try it right what if exactly dude yeah. i i love it man and randomly off topic because my dog just walked by here would you like to play this was the funniest thing i could have shared with you and i forgot about it so we're gonna play a little game here and we'll have to describe it because no one can see anything but I've got my beloved Chihuahua in my lap here. And RIP to Josh. Did we address that on Thanks. the last No, no, we... no. But no, I yeah. appreciate it, man. Thank you very and much. RIP. Nothing like losing a dog. It's absolutely, other than maybe losing like an actual human family member. And even that's probably tied. It's pretty hard to do. But okay, so here's the game. We are going to play What is on My Dog? And we're going to see if you guys are capable of figuring this out. We had a real unfortunate accident two weeks ago which involved my dog and she's still um dealing with the the output so here we go you ready what do you think that is it's three large white dots That's smashed bleach. into her fur um three three weeks old now rob's going with bleach pretty good guess how about you josh uh hot oil mm, pretty good too well so or Tylenol. Incorrect, incorrect both of the <laughs> Tylenol, cocaine, although that would have fallen out by now. Um, so I was trying to help my beloved father open a tube of super glue. And it was in a moment, oh, no, it was in a moment of like, you know how you're having the 9.30 a.m. chaos right now in your life, Josh? Oh, yeah. I have that same level of chaos most afternoons around 5.30 p.m because I have three angry, starving, rebellious, small humans. My kids humans. get mad at that time too, dude. Oh my God. So it's like the post-dinner rush, there's a sink full of dishes, everyone's talking incessantly, and all you can think of is like sitting on the back deck of Rob's boat while he guides you and you fish with him. But anyway, so that was what was going on. And then here comes my dad with a tube of super glue that he can't open. Like, here, give me that thing. Like, it's not that hard. And so I'm just like, overly aggressive manhandling this tube of super glue and it's not opening and then i looked at it and it was like 
oh, it's so weird. Like there's a little hole right here that I've torn in it. And like any complete idiot, which is no one other than me, I squeeze it right at the time that I'm looking at this hole that I've ripped in it. Nice. And all of the super glue went like right by my face. Just like, boom, like if it would have landed in my eyes, who would have known? But my sweet, loyal dog, who's always under my feet, is just standing under me looking up and like all of the super glue lands on her back. Just... So I took her to give her a bath real quick. And if you wanted to know, all of the contents of her super glue pouch dries and crystallizes within 11 seconds, oh, tops. Yeah. And so I'm like trying to rinse it out of her. Oh, dude, she's had like four super glue dreadlocks now for three weeks and every time she walks by some of it's just flat matted on her fur i don't know like a year from now maybe all those hairs will fall out but the bigger dreadlocks that were easier every time she walks by i try to grab one and rip it off and so now oh. she has like bald spots on her back <laughs> that's the most random rip. thing ever did fairly harmless but then still i got bad for her completely shamed like a word I'm not allowed to say on the air shamed by someone walking down the street in my neighborhood. Cause I had her on a little leash and then my three kids in a, uh, the wagon and everyone's just melting down. And you know how there's like kid people and dog people and like dog people look down on kid people. Well, that was what was going on. And she's like, Oh, your chihuahua is so cute. And I was like, Oh, thanks. And it's like, they had three little dogs. And then I was like, you will never believe it, but those dots on her back are super glue. And she <laughs> looked at me and instantly went from like politely trying to pretend like she liked me to like i'm gonna call anima control on you you worthless oh, it was amazing she like didn't even say anything her and her husband saying they just walked away i was like if you'd like i could spray some super glue on your dogs too if you want. it helps you identify them easier at the dog park yours is the mangy dog with no hair and white blobs on its back i love That's, it dude so poor thing so every day she walks around with just like a tube of super glue completely glued to her back so. super glue is a nightmare i mean i dude i have no patience when i'm using with a lot of things you know, I, I use super glue a lot with tackle you know like you know certain soft baits you're you're gluing nails into a bait you're gluing it onto the you know a, it's the miserable of a stuff and uh i i end up with so much super glue on my fingers and end up you know fighting <laughs> it for days afterwards have, it's squirt some in your hair rough. have you seen the um I think it's Loctite Gel Super Glue. Uh, no, but it sounds like I don't a better think so, product. Dude. You need no. to get some of that because it's. I was fighting it and fighting it, and you know how Alex is. He always has the right stuff. Oh yeah. And he's like, here, just keep this one. This one. He turned clean. you onto it. Oh, yeah. Blood. Faster. Yep. Nice. It's got a little pump. It pumps out just a little bit at a time. Ooh. So it's pretty sweet. Sounds that's fun. Cool. Yeah. yeah that's so, why. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that's why I'm fishing in the tournament with him next week instead of you, Nick. Yeah, he always has the super glue and stuff, dude. Dude, new Nick. He's new and improved. He's so much better. Better looking, better fishing, <laughs> just better. So jealous. That's cool. Got awkward. Dude, <laughs> where yeah, it needs dude. to go. <laughs> Every podcast song. needs to just go down into an awkward silence broken by that's hilarious while no one laughs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. exactly. Oscar Chip just took a shot. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, so... Uh, well, that uh, dude. Thanks for sharing that. It's pretty entertaining. It uh, poor Roxy, man. So call animal control on me. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, added to the list of things. But <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, it's a great catching up with you guys again, and uh, hopefully, uh, Nick and I, we, I, I'd like to get on the water with both of you guys next week. I'm actually home for a fairly extended amount of time, so take the kids out with Nick and maybe go fishing with Rob between his trips. But um, 
hopefully uh, we've got a lot to talk about next week. We've got uh, more guests lined up. Uh, we are uh, back with the guests, guys. So uh, i got a guest for next week. We had a great guest this week, uh, Rich Lindgren. He's a Minnesota-based angler. Uh, real stick up in uh, that part of Minnesota, but really he's he's been fishing the Federation, traveling around for a long time. He's just a hammer overall. Um, he's got his own podcast called Hella Bass. Make sure you guys uh, give that a listen. He does a lot of live streams, uh, a lot of interviews, and then uh, he's got a really um, awesome YouTube page as well where he uh, does a lot of instructional teaching and uh, just a interesting uh, tournament content to watch. So anything you, you guys want to add before we uh, send it over? No, yes, just uh, make sure you watch his YouTube stuff. It's great. I've, I've watched a ton of it, so very enjoyable. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I was extremely rusty introducing him uh, when we actually had him on. It was the first interview we did in a while, so I'm going to use this and cut that out, and um, <laughs> hope you guys enjoy the interview uh, with Rich. Yeah, there goes Josh, North Korea, editing everything again. <laughs> yeah. Just let it ride, baby. See you guys. Yeah, I do. Like my hands, I was like, I stopped and got some tacos on the way. I was fishing pool two on the Mississippi river. Uh, I don't got my boat. I'm waiting on a boat. And my buddy's like, let's go fishing Tuesday night. And I was like, all right. I almost didn't go. Cause I was like, oh, I should get my stuff ready for my tournament this weekend. We went out and we absolutely blistered them on flat side crankbaits. Like the Fritz side five and lone ranger. Like I caught smallmouth, I caught largemouth, I caught Northern pike. I caught walleye. I caught crappies. And we probably caught 40 some fish in three hours. I mean, it was wow. like on and, several like three to four pound smallies so it was, what it was kind of water tempers what kind of water temperatures do you have i was surprised it was pushing high 50s and it it said wow. 60 on the surface a couple times which i was shocked because i fished a tournament two weekends ago on the mississippi river a couple pools down and it was like 46 47 it was like brutal man it goes fast huh yeah it's when, when it when it happens up here it goes from like ice out to like spawn in like a month so does the spawn happen real quick too? Just be, just because they got to get it done and, and get it. It does. Stuff like you hear about down south, like you know, three months of spawn and all that stuff. Like, like you lucky if you get two moons up here. Like that, it usually happens in like, it, like, in depending on where you are in the state. But like, yeah, a couple weekends. It's the peak of it happens in like two weekends. Interesting. And, and, and smallmouth and largemouth kind of on the same deal, or do you start seeing the smallies first and then largemouth follow? It's interesting. I feel like on the Mississippi River, I feel like the smallies tend to go first. Like they go early. I'll, sometimes you'll see them spawning like high 50s. And I feel like these fish were like, they were dead current tonight. <clears throat> so they were, they were not on the seams anymore. And they were just off like the laydowns on the like first little dip. Like they were, like they could go the next week or two. Um, but then like on our lakes, it seems like the smallies drag on longer. I don't know. But a lot of our lakes where the smallies are, they're also deeper, clearer lakes. So they're, so it, yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of depends on the lake and where you are, but yeah. uh, they, they're both pretty close. But I would say on lakes, then, you know, the largemouth first, smallies second, but on the river, I feel like it's a little flipped. Right on. So are you originally from like that area where you're at now? Did you grow up as a river rat or did you grow up with a fish in, fish in lakes or do you have a home body of water? I definitely grew up fishing more lakes as a kid with my dad when he joined. He was in a, a club called Gopher Bassmaster for, for years. Like I grew up a kid, just grew up around a bass club. And they mostly fished lakes. Um, got a little exposure on this pool I went to uh, as early on in bass clubs. But it wasn't until I started fishing some BFLs that I started fishing down on like lacrosse and Wabasha in that area. And that's what kind of got me into rivers. And I, I do love fishing rivers a lot. And I've had pretty good success fishing the river. It's 
it can be super intimidating when you first start fishing rivers, but I figured like, I feel like once you start to unlock current and understand how that does or doesn't affect things and how that brings life and water cleanliness and bait, like it starts to make a lot of sense. And then to some degree it can be a lot more predictable in lakes, I think. Makes total sense. But when you don't understand it, you feel like you're lost. That Mississippi river too. It's, it's a heck of a fishery, but it's just like you said, there's, it's a real challenging fishery. It's difficult to navigate. Um, you do have both species there. So I could see how that would be a heck of a training ground. And I know just along that river in Minnesota, Wisconsin, how many absolute stud bass fishermen come out of that area, which, you know, honestly, and, and not to take anything away from other Northern areas, but, um, I don't know. I mean, to me, it seems like there are more good fishermen, bass fishermen, from maybe that area than a lot of those other places that they maybe have one really good lake or something like that. Do you agree? Have you seen that too? Just loaded with, with good fishermen in that region? There's definitely, I think there's a lot of talent in a lot of places. I think what, I think the people that grew up on the Mississippi or spend a lot of time fishing the Mississippi river, they are well equipped to take their talents elsewhere. Doesn't mean necessarily they're any better or worse anglers. I think that just, it's a better prepping ground because like you can catch them, absolutely smash them in a couple places one year, and you may not catch them again there for 10 years because of like it's temperature, it's current, it's water level, like, I mean, like there's so many variables. Like a lake has like two variables. A river's got like four or five, right? To like to get the flow, the water level, and the season all to line up, like that doesn't happen very often. I mean, there's areas that repeat, but so I think the thing is that you're constantly finding new fish. You're constantly adjusting. You're constantly, if you fish tournaments, you're scrapping things and doing new things. And I think that's the type of stuff that makes you a successful tournament angler, no matter where you go. Yeah. makes total sense. makes total sense. Um, what pool of the, of the river did you fish when you went up there, Rob? I fished Wabasha. That's uh, pool four. Pool four. Yeah. So Lake Pepin and out of water Wabasha. Yeah. So going north, the numbers are going down. Yeah. Yep. Is that how? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I fished so, seven through nine. Minneapolis is like pool two, like downtown Minneapolis is like pool one. And then there's like above Minneapolis, there's, you know, you can fish Mississippi up like past Grand Rapids. Like, so I think you've, you fished Grand Rapids, I think. Pokegama at one time. Actually, I haven't, I haven't been in any of those tournaments. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you were aware you, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. I've heard, I've heard about like, it for sure. Yeah. But, uh, so it goes all the way up there, but that doesn't have a pool name. Like that's just like, and it's really not like the barge traffic stops in Minneapolis. So they don't really have like lock and dams or navigation. They don't like dredge it or control the channel once you get up there. So it's a lot more, you could take a bass boat out there. It's sketchy. A lot of more like flats and river boats and things like that. Once you get above Minneapolis. So is Pokegama, is that actually part of the river? So Pokegama goes into like Little Jay Gould and Jay Gould, and then it kind of like flattens out and turns into like rice and pads and stuff. And then that connects to the river. So it kind of like offshoot, it like hangs off the side of the river. Can you navigate it? Yeah, it's it's actually pretty easy to navigate up there, Um, especially like right in Cohasset and above Grand Rapids. There's a dam where you can't go below it and you can go up quite a ways. It's really, it's nothing like down here. Like it's, you you could cast a frog all the way across it. (laughs) And it's like rice and bog and like wild rice and pads everywhere up there. It's not like riprap and wood and that kind of stuff like it is down south. So what are your rules on, um, so you're fishing on the river and the river's open obviously year round. Um, Um, And then you have a season opener coming up soon, right? 
Yeah. So the Mississippi River from Pool Four down, which is a border water, uh, that is open for fishing year round. Um, so because it's Coast Guard waters. Oh, thank God you guys have that. Yeah, that's that's a lifesaver, right? Yeah. Right. So and then like South Dakota, South Dakota border lakes and Iowa lakes, they don't have any seasons, so you can fish those year round. But they do ice over for a chunk. Even the river does ice up. So like you can sometimes fish the river into November, December, and then on a good year, you can be out there in March. So what do you guys do all winter, dude? Like, like, is it no matter what, even if it's open, you're going to have a period where it's just too cold. Like how difficult is that on you? Because you're such a diehard fisherman, you're fishing multiple days a week, anytime that you can. So like, dude, does it, do you just go into like depression over the winter or what? <laughs> well, <laughs> Part of it is right. You get, you get, you get caught up on your honeydew list. You, you build up a bunch of points in the winter. Okay. That, that's part of it. And then, uh, so some people ice fish, that's not me. I haven't really ice fished in like 20 years. I did that in college a little bit, but it's really not my thing, but it is a great way to like learn your electronics. So like it probably should spend some time doing it and like learning like the Vexlar and that kind of stuff. But it, it is a good training ground for electronics. There are a few places with some warm water discharges uh, there's a spot up here where you can wade for smallies or take a boat out in the winter, catch some smallies. Um, there used to be a place up in Bokegama that was really good, but they changed the power plant. But we used to be able to go up there in the winter and like throw like Huddlestons and oh, mag drafts yeah. and like big swim baits and catch like four to six pound smallies like in dead of winter. So the season actually goes until like February, end of February, but like it usually ices up in like November, December. So, <clears throat> and then it opens back up like Mother's Day weekend. Interesting. So when you, when you are going on that trip, like obviously the water's warmer and the fish are biting cause it's a warm water discharge, but it's still absolutely freezing cold outside. Like what are some tips that do you have any tips <laughs> on staying warm when it's like that? Because dude, I'm getting off of, of a horrible stretch of fishing in the cold and uh, it almost killed me. Like I'm so happy to be back in Arizona <laughs> now where it's, where it's yeah. warm. I mean, we have the gear, like a lot of us have like ice snowmobile gear and stuff. I mean, you're literally wearing like ice fishing boots and like ice armor suits and like your deer, you're basically dressed like you're going deer hunting, but you got like fingerless gloves on, wool gloves. But that's, I mean, and, you know, we don't, sometimes if you really need to go fishing, you'll go when it's like negative 10, but a lot of times you're going to wait till you get like a 20, 30 degree day to go fishing. Still a little warming there. trend. Yeah. You know, where it's a little, I mean, the thing is you get used to it, right? Like a, a 25 degree day with sun and no wind doesn't feel that bad when you've like, like, I don't know, the other, you, you know, kind of what do we do in the winter, right? And the other thing is like uh, my YouTube channel, right? The content, like that keeps me busy. That keeps me sane doing like shows like this and interviews that like, it, it kind of like scratches the itch. And then, you know, a lot of us will take a trip down South, right? Go fish a BFL down South or, you know, go take a trip to Fork or, you know, table rock or grand lake i mean a lot of us are taking spring trips once or twice to you know get okay. out that helps a lot too yeah that's cool i could see that um about your youtube channel how long ago did you start it and um you know what uh, it looks like a lot of your focus is really to, to kind of teach bass fishing like and make people better anglers is that kind of what your thought process is with it yeah absolutely so it's i always say help you catch more big bass and suck less nice <laughs> and uh so I probably started, I've got videos that are probably seven, eight years old, but I really only got it serious again, probably like three years ago. Um, kind of when I went to read down for a, a central regional on Gunnersville, I kind of re <clears throat> kind of rebooted the channel and started getting serious again. And 
been learning a lot. It's uh, the, the, the content creation YouTube game has really changed a lot in the last couple of years and learning the, the, the tricks and what's, you know, how to stay on top and really listening to what the audience wants and trying to provide good content and good information and put out good stuff that people can learn from. That's the big thing. Do you have any background in any type of video or audio type stuff? Or are you like basically like us where you just have to learn as you go? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I've learned as I went. I mean, I mean, I was kind of into blogging for a while when that was a thing and kind of had a pretty successful blog, but that kind of went away and then kind of went into video and it really just seems like the best place to be. But yeah, it's all self-trained and the YouTube university itself, right? To like, I mean, just like anything, like whether it's a podcast or editing videos or how to catch bass, you can or change, you know, fix your dryer or whatever, right? Like everything you need to really do this kind of stuff is pretty much on YouTube already. Yeah. I judge, I judge YouTube videos on how long I watch them. And I watch every one of your tournament ones to the end. So that, I mean, it's, it's good stuff and you're uh, you interact with the camera really well and it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Like audience retention is a big thing. Right. So I, you know, that's one thing that I've tried to learn is like, you really need to like cut the fluff. Like if it's not engaging to the, the audience, like you can't afford to really just have like, random slow nothing happening like i mean like i just you got to be brutal when it comes to editing i guess and just be merciless when you just take everything talk take all the fluff out and give them what they want yeah one thing i've noticed watching your videos is um you know you think of northern fishermen and you think of spinning rods do you even own one i do yeah i do <laughs> i got one right here it's he's a bubba fisherman huh Oh, big time bubba fisherman <laughs> it's awesome like it's yeah, i mean yeah, yeah I mean, it's I pretty impressive four or five spinning rods you know like I'll, I'll break out a wacky rig when they won't eat my jig and you know I, I drop shot ned when i need to but i'm definitely going to serve them up a jig or a frog or something like that first and then if they refuse that then we'll break out the spinning rods yeah it, it probably it doesn't seem like it happens very often but uh you know do you agree northern fishermen are spinning rod guys for in a lot of cases there are a lot of guys that like the spinning rods i think yeah. you know there's a, a lot of people grow up multi-species fishing walleyes yep. and it's it's really natural i mean we do catch a lot of fish on like kitex and jig worms and drop shots and things like that but our fish are also dumb and there's a lot of times you can just overpower them right yeah speaking <laughs> of multi-species um do you feel like the tournaments have just kind of come on in the last 15 or 20 years or you said you grew up with your dad fishing in club tournaments but um it just seems like it's gotten more and more popular in that part of the country, or is it just getting, are we seeing it more with social media? I think you're just seeing it more in social media and it's getting more attention because guys like Seth and yep. Austin Felix and yep. Bob Downey and Caleb Kufal are starting to like have success. Yep. We've had a lot of guys kind of like, I mean, guys like Jim Moyna, like they've been around forever and had success, but he was kind of a, a you know, <laughs> an early pioneer of Minnesota anglers having like reasonable success. And now that we have like kind of what I call the Northern invasion, there's like a pretty good contingency between like the Canadians, the Johnsons and Gussie and the Minnesota, Wisconsin guys really having a lot of success. I think it's just shining a lot more light on it. Our tournament scenes sense. are still pretty small compared to like down South, right? Like 50, 60, 70, 80 boats is a big tournament up here. I mean, there's a right. few that are bigger than that, but like, that's a lot of like, 20, 30, 40 boat tournaments. Very comparable to probably Arizona tournament scene, I would imagine. It makes sense. Do you guys have 
I want to go back to the jig worm too. Uh, so don't let me forget that because that's a total Minnesota term. Like you don't hear that very often. I want to ask about it, but um, dude, like, yeah, I mean, are there a lot, that's it right there. Are there a lot more walleye fishermen overall? Is there some beef between the walleye guys and bass guys up there? I don't know if there's like a hard beef, but I definitely, there are definitely <laughs> way more walleye slash multi-species anglers, like people that just go fishing than there are bass anglers. Sure. But like bass, I mean, tournament wise, bass tournaments are still the biggest. Um, I mean, there is like kind of a little bit of like a friendly, like, like, oh, you're fishing for those gravel lizards or like, I always tell people like walleye, walleyes are for food, not for sport. I don't know. Like they have some good tournaments. Like there's a pretty good tournament scene for like the, the was it Minnesota, what, PWT or professional walleye tour or yeah, whatever. They, yeah. they, they do. They, they fish for pretty good money regionally kind of North region central. Um, and they do all right, but it's not like national nationwide. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, I, th I think they both, I mean, <laughs> I think walleye guys sometimes look down on bass guys a little bit. They think it look you know, it's like super easy and like, it's insane, totally dude. That, That's but. insane. Yeah, I think maybe all 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 deals are like that. I had uh, was giving my buddy, uh, he's a photographer, outdoor photographer, and he had got hooked by a fly fisherman the other day and posted it on the uh, on Instagram. And I was giving him a hard time for hanging out with fly fishermen. So I think it's probably <laughs> across the board. But dude, uh, and I'm I guess I'm just trying to start something here. But how about between the Minnesota and Iowa guys? I remember being at Malax a few years ago, and I am fishing an area and there's a walleye boat that is like getting on top of us and uh they were bass fishing um and uh this guy is following us around and uh i mean just driving me crazy and uh, my marshal finally goes you know what we call fishermen like that and i said i, have, I don't know dude he goes iowa fishermen uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there any uh beef there between minnesota and iowa especially because you're in the federation you're competing against them all the time yeah, I think there's like a, a general like Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, like whether it's college football or sports or like Packers, Vikings, like there's there's a pretty good rivalry between those three states in general. They all it, and it's pretty much a good friend. They like give each other a hard time, but you know we'll we'll definitely crack a beer with them after the tournament. Nice, right on. Speaking of Iowa, how about the Okaboji Open? That's another whack fest there, huh? Yeah, and that's that's a mixed bag. There's big smallies and big large. I have yet to be uh, gone down to Okaboji. If I would have had my boat this year, I probably would have been down there. But there are some sneaky good lakes that got some some really good potential up here. Yeah, I mean we're this spring we've seen 28 and 31 pound bags to win five fish tournaments up here, which is insane. Like yeah. that's that's like Lake Fork kind of stuff. Like that's. How do you feel so, about like talking about them? Or do you feel like, are they still kind of like, are there a lot of lakes that are like, Ooh, we keep that one hush hush. We want to keep it secret and not blow it up. Or, or are they that good? And they're that far away where you're not worried about talking about it. So as long as they're good sized lakes, like Okaboji and Big Stone, they're, they're, they're big lakes. They're, you know, multi-thousand, like Big Stone's 24 miles long. I'm not sure how many thousand acres like East and West Okaboji is, but it's, they call them the Iowa Great Lakes. So they're, they're pretty good size. And it's like Mille Lacs, you know, Leech. You'll, you'll notice in like my videos, like if I'm fishing a major tournament lake, that's a place that holds like big tournaments and it's like on the radar, I don't mind talking about it, but there are definitely like smaller, like 300, 800 acre, sure. like thousand acre lakes. I don't talk about those. They don't, yeah. I don't talk about where I'm fishing in those lakes because those to me are the lakes that can get like, you know, torn apart, you know, with, with pressure, those big lakes are going to cycle regardless. They're large <clears throat> ecosystems. 
just like the lakes down south, right? Like, you know, Ufala, Kentucky, Pickwick, those lakes all cycle, Rayburn, right? I mean, some of it's fishing pressure, but a lot of it's just the ebbs and flows of those big ecosystems and fisheries. Makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. Speaking of that, I, I guided a young man from uh, the Wilmer area. Mm-hmm. He came down here in the winter and we fished on Saguaro Lake and he told me something that I'll never forget. He goes, if I pull up to the boat landing and there's another trailer, I go to the next lake. <laughs> <laughs> like, but that's what he's fishing is those small lakes like that. Right. Right. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, you have, I mean, where I live, there's a decent amount of lakes, but you go out West by Wilmer and some other, like by Brainerd and places like that, or Alexandria, yeah. like there's a, a lake with a boat access, like every five or 10 miles. Like it's, yeah. That's so cool, it's dude. Unbelievable resources and potential. And some of them, are, I mean, it, it, it just about all of them have bass in them. It's like, they're all pretty good. It's hard to find one that is terrible. The, some of them are epic at times, right? When they're on their upswing, when you just have a little lake to yourself and you can just wear them out. But it, it's hard to find a lake where you can't go out and just throw a chatterbait or a spinnerbait or a Senko and not have a good day and you're either catching bass or pike or whatever. Okay, let's bring it back to the jigworm, dude. So that's a term that you only hear from people from your region. Um, I probably have never thrown a jigworm, or if I have, I haven't known it, man. What uh, What's it all about? So a jigworm is really a shaky head. I'm showing it like Josh and... and uh, <laughs> yeah, we're too lazy yeah, to put it on video like you do. But, so uh, basically all the Josh is too lazy to put his uh, Zoom recordings on YouTube. But anyways... <laughs> But it's basically a, sh- a, a, a untexposed shaky head. You just thread it on, like so. A picture like how you thread a Kitek on a jig, but you thread on a culprit or a power worm or a, a general or a, a cinco, right? Like just a any kind of four to six inch worm. And we do it a lot around grass is the main thing, which is a little bit counterintuitive because we're throwing a fairly good sized exposed hook. But yeah, so how does that work, dude? We're throwing it. So we're we're doing this around like good green vegetation, like okay. where we have weed edges or what we call weed lines. And we're looking for the edges. And we're trying to like basically, and a lot of times they'll use almost always a spinning rod for this. Uh, you want that vertical drop. So you're casting out trying to hit that edge or the pockets on a coontail, a milfoil, a cabbage weed line. And you want it to fall down and sometimes fall right down the weed wall. Other times you catch a limb or a little thing and you're fishing good, clean grass. That hook will catch on like coontail, which is crisp, and you'll just pop it off and then it'll fall and like gets down in the grass and you kind of pop it up and then it falls down. It's So it's like a kind of a vertical shaky head presentation. Um, we don't really jag it and shake it. It's like throw it in the grass, like let it sink, pull it up, let it fall back down. So it's almost like Kind of how you like rip a trap out of grass, but more wow, subtle. Wow, dude. That That's so sense. different. But I much more subtle than ripping all. a trap. But you're like cutting, letting the bait get caught and then popping it out and letting it fall. Hmm. And most and of your bites come on the fall. Or sometimes if the bite's really tough, we'll like dead stick it and just let it sit down there and just kind of do its thing. Why that over Texas rig? What's the what's the advantage? So the, the, the jig worm, so it's like the setup is typically like a seven, seven foot two you know, medium action spinning rod. Most of us now are like throwing like 20, 30 pound braid to like a 10 pound fluorocarbon leader. Like, so, uh, and that vertical presentation, it falls different than a Texas rig. Um, the, the, the hook actually catching on the grass and then popping it free 
is part of what draws the bites, I think, more than a Texas rig that's just going to kind of fall and just burrow down into it. Okay. So that's really what we're looking for. And it's a little more finesse. So, right, a Texas rig, you're probably going to throw on like 12 to 17 pound. You're going to probably throw a quarter to, you know, three eighths ounce. You're going to let it like get down and kind of worm around in the weeds where this is more like hit the edges, hit the holes, pop it free. And it's kind of a reaction bite kind of a finesse reaction it's kind of interesting and, and you said in milfoil and coontail it's it's as long as it's green healthy grass yeah and, and i actually did it uh a little bit i caught some fish on it in gunnersville in april a couple of years ago hmm. so definitely is something that can be used outside of minnesota and wisconsin well i can tell you i'm gonna be trying it cayuga you know i've yeah, been see i've yeah. caught them at, it Cayuga really well it's a grass line lake it's a grass lake and i've caught them on a light texas rig on a spinning rod really well just to to show them that 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 lighter line that but that's interesting and uh you know in our deal we're fishing for up to six days so those fish get so conditioned to stuff over over time so it would be cool to be one of the only guys probably doing that so i'm gonna yeah. have to try it eight three sixteen ounce heads um you know some kind of like like a mushroom or finesse football style or the kind of like that i like but you need a big hook with it too because you're a little bigger. i like a good right? size i like it's a little a bit bigger you can like the original jig worms are released. They were almost more like Ned hooks. They were like the, the gopher tackle mushroom heads, but I like something with a little bit better hook. Like this is a bass tech, like tungsten head, uh, the all-terrain mighty jig, the outcast money head. Those are all good options to look into. I'm sure there's probably some fusion jig hooks that would probably work as well. Yeah. Yeah. You probably yeah. could get by with some of your swim bait, like little ball head swim bait hooks would work. Um, That's cool. And then, uh what was i gonna say yeah you you'll definitely get more bites on a jig worm than you will a texas rig and every fish count type thing a jig worm is good how crazy yeah it's cool i'm gonna try it i'm gonna play with it for and sure. the hookups are great right like you don't miss them <laughs> you don't have to worry about the I plastic balling up on the i was like they're throwing it because it's an exposed hook and they hit more fish so interesting um that's cool and how about uh, i wanted to ask since you're fishing a lot of grass do you just I know for me, when I go up north, I throw a lot of black. Is black a really big part of your arsenal with your soft baits because it um, it seems to work so well on those northern fish, or you not don't throw a ton of black? I don't throw a ton of black. I throw a lot of, like, green pumpkin and then a lot of, like, you know, green pumpkin, black, blue, like the laminate, like the tramp stamp, the 1099, the, the super bugs, like, that's kind of my like go-to i know there's some guys that are a little bit more old school and they like to throw a lot of straight black black senkos on jig worms are a big thing people there are guys that love that straight black i haven't got it definitely works black black catches them everywhere it's just a dark silhouette like you but there are times that can be a good thing like a lot of times i know some guys smally right they'll throw a straight black on a drop shot or something like that interesting i think but i know people that that do it a lot interesting that's cool so um, do you do you drive up and uh, go through the city and fish Mille Lacs very often, or is that just far enough? You got so much stuff close by where you don't really need to go up there. I want to do it more. I don't think I went once last year. I probably went a couple times a year before, but it's about two and a half hours, maybe three from my house, depending on where I launch on the lake. So I will do it. It just has to work out with like my kids' sports. And, you know, yeah. it's nice to not go up there on a day when it's blowing 30 miles an hour. And you, you need a full day, right? Like there's when I, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I'm fishing for, go out for four or six hours and then, you know, go to a kid's hockey game or whatever. 
So when I can, I usually like to make it like I'll do a day trip where I'll get up at like four in the morning and drive three hours and fish for 12 hours and then drive three hours home when it's dark. <laughs> That's us going to Havasu. We have to do the same thing. And you, so you drive through Minneapolis. We have to drive through Phoenix to get there. And yeah. it's about, it's, 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 and, but it's worth it, but it's a haul and just not, it's not easy enough to go all the time. But uh, I know Malax is a sick lake. We're going to go uh, this fall and I'm already thinking and trying to figure out how we can connect with you. Um, and fish with you maybe after the tournament or something. Oh yeah, like that. for sure. So, That's in September. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and I might be up there. I'll, I'll stay in touch. I might be up there for a little while after. And, and, you know, Rob's obviously, I think you've told the listeners that you're going to be up there in July, right? Fishing. Minnesota. I, I think I have, I'm not positive, but yeah, I'm going to be up there all of July, um, fishing every day. So I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, like if I want to really want to really want to fish for big smallmouth like Malax is probably one of the closest lakes to me, but I will drive by a hundred lakes where I can catch 15 <laughs> to 20 pounds of largemouth to get to Malax. Sure. Yeah. That's hard to do. It's hard to pass up that. That's for sure. Rich, have you fished out West at all? Uh, I, I fished one evening in the Phoenix area when I was on there for work with a buddy. And I was, I was either like on huh. Bartlett or Saguaro, one of the two who we went out for just an evening and caught a bunch of dinky little ones. On you go with shop. a guide. It was a, a friend. That, you okay. were on Bartlett if you caught a bunch of dinky ones. Uh, yeah, Probably. maybe. Yep. And uh, he used to he used to be in my bass club in the cities. Then he moved out there, and he was out there for a while and just had an evening, and we went out and goofed around. But uh, that is definitely the furthest west I've fished. Otherwise, like Falcon, Amistad, and then like the Ozarks. So I really haven't. Uh, and then I guess I did fish the Vancouver, Columbus, Columbia River in Vancouver one evening as well on a work trip, but not a lot. That's cool. Hey, what do you do for work? Uh, I do uh, patching and supply chain consulting. Cool. Been a busy, uh, busy time for you, huh? Yeah, times are good for that. But yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> right family, on. trying to fish tournaments, trying to do content creation. That keeps me pretty busy. Yeah, I bet, man. I bet uh, you're you're spread pretty thin. Well, that's cool. Um, and hey, are you uh, so hockey dad? Uh, are you a hockey fan in general? Are you rooting the wild on right now? Well, I'm not right now because I'm on Zoom with you, but otherwise... Are they playing be. right now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, dude. That's all right. Yeah, What's my daughter... I don't... It was one nothing Blues. We gave up an early power play, which was not good. So I don't... I haven't, I haven't looked, but, but... That's cool. I'd still rather go fishing or talk fishing than watch hockey. <laughs> uh, Wilder up 2-1, end of one. There you go. Which is interesting. For... So this is the fifth game of the series. And this is the first time there's been a lead change. This whole playoffs, the whole playoffs, and I know, Rob, you're not the biggest hockey guy, but I love hockey. And uh, if you look at all the series, other than the Avalanche, they're all really tight. They're like two to two. Damn near every series is two to two. But every game has been like seven to two, five to one, three to nothing. Like none of the games have – so the games haven't been that good to watch, but the series are close. It's really weird. One team will take a whooping and come back mad and lay it back on the other team. So hopefully this is a good close game and, and hopefully the wild pull it off uh, for your sake. Yeah. So Rich is missing. Playing, they might still be in the playoffs by the time you get here, Rob. So the Suns are playing right at the moment too. Um, and my son's uh, baseball team's playing ASU against GCU. So a lot of games going on. Hey, and you know what's funny is, I know, Rich, you work, dude, so we do this in the evenings, any, or we were going to do it in the evening for you, but um, we did this 
we typically record in the mornings. Mm -hmm. We did this in the evening for our old buddy, Nick, who, as you can tell, is not, (laughs) not present here, right? You wonder where's Nick at? Well, uh, he, uh, had 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 some issues about five minutes before the podcast so uh, sorry to all I just the cheated i want to yeah. redo with nick at some point <laughs> yeah hey dude please any anytime anytime you know uh rob and i uh we, we love nick and we were bummed that um he wasn't going to make this one but we'll we'll try to get him at least you know one of the next couple mornings when when we post this thing for the intro but um i guess my my last question for you before we let you go and it's something we ask a lot of the listeners but um you've traveled and fished a ton of tournaments you've been fishing tournaments forever do you have any or a couple you know uh, trashy hotel stories crazy things that have happened to your truck or boat while you're traveling or just just wild wild behind the scenes stories um through all your years of tournament fishing that that are you know maybe off the top of your head kind of putting you on the spot here but yeah i don't know i i don't have like <laughs> i see a lot of other people do that like i feel like i do like when i fish the bfls and a lot of tournaments these little like weekender things i do a lot of camping out of the back of my suv and stuff so i really like staying in campgrounds where i feel like it's i feel like there's a good community in campgrounds and they kind of watch out for each other mm-hmm. so i feel like i avoid some of that by staying in campgrounds and kind of bringing my own travel set with me and what on the way back from louisiana this fall i had borrowed a boat from my buddy ron and uh it was like an rt 189 or whatever, that ranger flat kind of aluminum nice fishing platform and i, and I was like northern iowa middle of the night and i'm flying back and all of a sudden i feel this like boom and the, i look in the rear and i see the trailer like jump in the air and i was like whoa the spare tire came loose and went under the tire and it like caught on the frame and like launched the boat up in the air holy and, cow like, it was like one in the morning like there was no like <laughs> looking for it but then he sent me a picture like this winter and it's like what did you do and it's like as i told him was, like, but the frame of that trailer was like <clears throat> like it like it was crazy like it was under the keel right and just kind of vibrated out yeah, so it was like on that bow mount, like right behind the winch, right that where it sits, and somehow yeah. the nuts came loose and it just fell off, and then like it went under there and like caught like vertically under that crossbar and launched the boat <laughs> up, and like it was a little scary. That yeah, could have been bad for sure. Well, that's good. Yeah, at least it ended fine. No, no harm, no foul. Ron was able to straighten it out, so I just owe him like a case of beer or something, I guess. So perfect. It's a good deal. That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. You get all the way through that tournament fishing a brutal place no issues on the boat and then on the way home something like that happens gotta love that so rich you said you're getting a new boat have you revealed what you're getting yet i did for my members but i haven't yeah. told the public yet <laughs> all right <laughs> nice good move well, that's cool we'll, we'll what's the, what's the what arrival date do you know i just talked i think they're starting it this week so i'm hoping last week of may first week of june i'll have it right on that's cool Awesome, man. Um, well, hey, yeah, it's, it's late at night. I don't, I don't think I have any more questions. Rob, do you have anything else for him, man? Nope, not really. Uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to maybe meeting up with you when I get up there to Minnesota in, in July. So, Absolutely. I actually have some tournaments up in Alexandria, which is not too far away, so we definitely could hook up at that point. That'd be great. Cool, man. And hey, uh, yeah, if you don't mind, tell the listeners where they can, uh, you know, learn more about your stuff i'm sure a lot of them cross over and already listen and watch you but um where can they find you yeah just search hellabass on youtube or instagram or just about any social platform even dabble on the tiktok but youtube is the main thing 
uh, do live streams usually Wednesday nights every week and try to put out a video or two throughout the week. And just uh, so yeah, if you're interested in no frills, kind of like good content on how to catch more big bass and suck less, then give it a, give it a look. Cool, man. I like it. Well, hey, even like an old, old interview with Bertrand, if you want to listen to that, if you're really bored. Yeah. If you're really, really bored. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you guys are podcasts, I do all my live streams go out on podcasts. So you can search Calabas in your podcast apps and find them that way too. If you're more of a listen to while you work out or drive to the tourneys and that kind of stuff, that's an option. Cool. Heck yeah. Yeah. He does a really good job guys. Like uh, we talked about it uh, in the intro, but um, you know, the, the action in, in the videos is really cool and uh, does a good job breaking it down and, and, and teaching you guys how to catch more fish. So definitely check it out. And Rich, man, we appreciate it. Um, I'm glad to be able to send you off to watch the last couple periods here of the game. So hopefully you can stay up and, uh, and, and watch the wild win tonight, man. Yeah, appreciate having me on. This was fun. Love to talk fishing anytime. Heck yeah. Awesome, man. We'll talk to you soon.